Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts 25. Acts 25 and the context is Paul being detained and he has been detained by religion and Rome. And Paul, as a saved Jew, is very much on the defensive on the one hand and yet on the other hand he's very much in his element. Paul was a great orator, Paul was a great man of God. And Paul was told back in Acts chapter 9 that such an event like this would occur. That not only would Paul preach the gospel, not only would Paul get Gentiles saved in their masses, left, right and centre, but on top of that he would witness to kings, queens, princes and rulers in authority. And here we get a picture of Paul being detained. And I looked at this text this morning and also last night and I was looking at some of my commentaries and I'm not overly sure from 24-27 if Paul was literally detained for two whole years. I'm not sure the text suggests that he was and therefore if I'm correct in assuming that he's been detained in Caesarea for two years which was Rome's headquarters in that part of the uh, Roman Empire when it came to Israel to be more precise so poor Paul he's been detained for two years under house arrest and yes no doubt uh, looked after allowed to see his friends and colleagues so on and so forth but nevertheless he has been detained and ask yourself this how would you do if you were detained for two years would you hold up or would you deny the Lord? Many of the greats, when they went through persecutions and trials and tribulations, actually denied him. Not all stood the course. Not all were able to be victorious. When Nero was detaining Christians, he would say, if you deny the Lord, you can go free. Now many stood firm. Many were put to death for their Lord. But some reneged. Some relented. And those people went back to their villages, their towns and their communities and would have endured great uh, levels of disgust you mean you denied our blessed saviour and yes many did and yet here paul will be faithful unto the death acts 25 let's start today's broadcast if we may in verse one please now when festus has come into the province after three days he ascended from caesarea to jerusalem felix has now left the scene and according to josephus festus was in office for around two years not very long and here festus He's going to find himself in the middle of a dispute between the Jews and the number one leader in Christianity around this time, Paul the Apostle. So picture this for a moment, if you will. You've got a picture here of a Roman leader, unsaved, having to mediate between the Jews and Christianity's premier spokesman. But Festus has come into the province, and after three days he has ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him, and desired favour against him, that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. This high priest is Caiaphas, and this high priest once again is on the wrong side of the Lord. Caiaphas was complicit in John the Baptist's detention and subsequent martyrdom. Caiaphas was complicit in the Lord's crucifixion. Caiaphas was complicit in Stephen's martyrdom. And here Caiaphas once again is complicit in Paul's detention. And I'll tell you something, when religion and politics come together, look out. This is one of the reasons why we speak against organised religion. Especially today, they're very much on the same page. But here the high priest and the chief of the Jews, probably the Sanhedrin, informed him, Festus, against Paul. They're now officially reporting Paul. They tried this with Felix in the last chapter, and they're going to try again. And besought him, and desired favour against him, that he would send him, or send for him to Jerusalem. Why? lay in wait in the way to kill him. What a nice bunch of guys these are. Not only did they reject Paul, 
Not only did they reject John the Baptist, not only did they reject the Lord Jesus Christ, but they want to put Paul to death. There's something about religion, there's something about organised religion, which is completely abhorrent. Look at verse 4, please. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly thither. To be fair to Festus, he doesn't know what's going on. He's not an expert in the affairs of Judaism or Christianity. He is a politician. He is a career politician. He's going to be in office for, what, two years? And he goes back to Rome. The last thing he wants to do is get involved with this dispute, and yet that's exactly what is going to occur. Look at verse 5, please. Let him therefore, said he, which among you able, go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. Festus wants to give Paul a chance, and Festus is going to have to write a report to go to Nero, explaining why Paul has been detained. And Festus wants to get all the facts before he puts his report together. But at the same time, Festus is probably buying time. Festus, like Felix, like Pilate, was very much up against it. And Festus, like Felix, like Pilate, doesn't want to rock the boat. Because reports are going to Rome concerning Festus and his leadership. And on one occasion, Festus was quite ruthless concerning a riot which occurred in Caesarea, so much so that they... The Jews wrote to Nero, complaining against Festus, and therefore he's going to box clever. And as a quick footnote, according to tradition, Pontius Pilate committed suicide sometime after leaving Jerusalem. What a sad event. Pilate stood in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, looked in the face of deity, and yet the last word he heard from the Lord's mouth was sin. What is truth, he would say, and he turned around and walked away. His wife would say to him, have nothing to do with this just man, I've had some bad dreams concerning him, so on and so forth, and yet Pilate put him to death. And that man's conscience probably bothered him all of his days until, according to tradition, he killed himself. And here, his successor, Festus, is very much trying to work out what to do. But my text from verse 5 suggests that he wants Paul's accusers to come down if there be any wickedness in him. Let's hear it. Let's examine the evidence. And this is, I guess, Roman law at its best. Let's hear what... You've got against him. Let's examine the evidence. This isn't going to be a kangaroo court. We're going to examine the evidence. We're going to see what you've got. And that goes back to the Old Testament as well. We know from the Old Testament that you needed two or three witnesses before somebody could be put to death. And here the Romans had a great legal system. Yes, they were corrupt. Yes, they were ruthless. But when it came to their legal system, they were pretty much unique. And much of their legal system has gone into the British legal system. Look at verse 6, please. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next day sitting on the judgment seat commanded Paul to be brought. From Acts chapter 2, you've got the apostles speaking in tongues. But before Acts chapter 2, you've got the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to the Jews for 40 days. When I say the Jews, I mean the apostles. So for 40 days, Christ is preaching to the Jewish apostles. He's briefing the apostles. And then ten days later, the Holy Ghost comes down, on the first day of the week, we know to be Pentecost, and he anoints them. So that ten days of sitting, standing, praying, witnessing, and here this ten days of Paul being detained, in my mind anyway, mirrors one another. The apostles were waiting for ten days for the Holy Ghost to come down, and here Paul has been waiting for ten days for this group of Jews to come and interrogate him. And of course ten is a number of the Gentiles. But don't lose the context. Paul is a Jew being interrogated by jury, and in the middle of this you've got a picture here of 
a Roman governor, very much piggy in the middle. And this judgment seat is where we get the term for the beamer seat, the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7, please. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. They're going to slander him. And when somebody slanders you, watch out. But the Jews have now stood round about Paul, like a circle, and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul. Somebody once said, if you were arrested and interrogated about your relationship with the Lord, would there be enough proof to convict you of being a Christian? And that's a good point. If you were detained, if you were put on trial in your local town and questioned about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, could they convict you for being a Christian? Well, here, no problem concerning Paul. But they couldn't prove the allegations against him. Look at verse 8, please. Well, he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. I haven't sinned against the people of Israel, nor yet against Caesar. I am innocent of the charges laid against me. Paul was no rebel rouser. Paul was no Shekhabara. Paul was no Nelson Mandela. Paul was no Yasser Arafat. Paul was a saved Jew. He loved God. He loved his people. And if I know Paul, he probably had some love for the Romans as well. Neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, being Nero around this time, have I offended anything at all. Remarkable. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem, and there be judged of these things before me? He wants to kick it into the long grass. He wants to buy time. On top of that, he wants to please the Jews. Because the Jews, being the Sanhedrin, the Jews being the religious elite, had the upper hand. Like I say, they were very quick to complain to Rome when the uh, Roman leaders overstepped the mark. That was a threat put to Pilate back in the Gospels. We have no king but Caesar. Are you really a friend of Caesar? And Pilate, whose wife was, for memory, the daughter of the governor in Rome was terrified. I mean, to be recalled to Rome, to be given a dressing down, was shameful. If you could imagine being a politician or being an ambassador for your country and to be called back to Washington or London or Rome or Madrid and to be given a dressing down by your governments would be the end of your career. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, he's not impartial, he's like most politicians, corrupt, Answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem, the eternal city, not Rome, and there be judged of these things before me? Let's go up to Jerusalem, Paul. Let's get all of the good old boys together. Let's hear what they've got against you. But Paul, very much ahead of the game here. Paul, a very bright individual, very much in the will of the Lord, unlike his antagonizers. Look at verse 10. Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where ought to be judged, to the Jews, have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest? I want to stand in the presence of Caesar, being Nero. And this is very interesting to me because the Roman emperors were a wicked bunch of people. From memory, Rome would produce around 15 emperors. And I think 13 out of the 15 Roman emperors were homosexuals. And on top of that, some were paedophiles. A wicked group of men. And yet, according to Romans chapter 13... Such people were ordained, are ordained by the power of God, by the good will of the Lord. And Paul would tell you that you are to pray for such people. 
In fact, when Christ came up against Pilate, he said to Pilate, you've got no authority whatsoever over me. You're only here by the good pleasure of Almighty God. It's like paraphrase, but the point is that the powers that be are ordained by Almighty God. And that's why we are told to pray for such people. But Paul says, no, I'm not going to go to Jerusalem and be put to death. I'm going to go to Rome, the center of the world, and stand at Caesar's judgment seat. Once again, pitch in the beamer seat, the judgment seat to the Lord, which is where all saved people will go when they die, whereas unsaved people go to the great white throne judgment. To the Jews, have I done no wrong? End of verse 10. As thou very well knowest, he's saying quite simply, this is all political. I'm simply here based on political prejudices, based on insecurity, based on jealousy and envy. And you know very well, Festus, that I'm an innocent man. So no, thank you. I won't go up to Jerusalem. Take me to Rome. Look at verse 11, please. For if I be an offender or committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof, these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them, I appeal unto Caesar. Here Paul is upholding the death penalty. And yet we hear such a song and dance about the death penalty by liberals and so-called Christians every day of the week. It's inhumane to kill a murderer. They say it's inhumane to kill a rapist or a paedophile or this or that. It's unacceptable and yet... They have no problem killing an unborn baby. But Paul, one more time, if I be an offender, if I am guilty, or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. Put me to death. And once again, Paul, like Jesus, like the Old Testament prophets, believed in the death penalty. But if there be none of these things, where they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them, I appeal unto Caesar. And at the same time, Paul wasn't suicidal. Paul loved life. Paul was a very busy man, and unlike what some people have suggested concerning Paul's desire to be with the Lord 24-7, he said, no, it's beneficial for me to remain on the earth with the church and preach to all of you, to edify all of you. But Paul is very much, I think, enjoying this environment, and yet for most of us, we would, we would cringe at being put in such an environment. Why? Well, because you are standing in the presence of evil, you're standing in the presence of wickedness, you're standing among hypocrites, some religious, some secular, but above all, you're standing in the presence of the enemies of the Lord. And yet Christ died for them. Never forget that. I appeal unto Caesar, take me to Rome, and I will preach to him, and I will preach to everyone else in Rome. Verse 12, then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. You want to go to Rome? Paul, you're going to go to Rome. And it's going to be a very difficult journey there. You're going to go on a boat and the boat is going to sink. And if I know the word of God, no doubt Satan was behind that, trying to thwart Paul's trip to Rome like he did uh, back in the Gospels when the Lord was sleeping on one occasion and the apostles were rowing and they were professional fishermen. They knew the waters of Galilee very well. And that tempest, that storm came out of nowhere. And the word of God says how Christ rebuked the storm. And you think to yourself, to rebuke the storm suggests that behind the storm was old Leviathan. And of course, you know, Leviathan is an Old Testament term for the devil. And the devil was always on Paul's back. And yet Paul is as calm as a cucumber. He's enjoying himself. And yet at the same time, he's using his rights as a Roman citizen to go to Rome, the heart of the world, pagan Babylon. And the council, again, from verse 12, would be the Sanhedrin. You've got Roman religion coming together and uniting against God. Just pitch that for a moment, if you will. Rome and religion coming together and uniting against God. 
Christ would say, if you, if you treat one of my children with contempt, you're treating me with contempt. But Paul, very much in his element, is enjoying what's going on. God is being glorified, and Festus is probably puzzled as to what is going on. Look at verse 13. And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. King Agrippa is the third and final Herod from Scripture. Herod the Great was responsible for the, the uh, death of the innocents from Matthew chapter 2. When Herod the Great died, his son Archelaus replaced him, who was responsible for John the Baptist's martyrdom and was also responsible for interrogating Christ. That same Herod, known as Archelaus, was also responsible for James Zebedee's death. He died, according to Acts chapter 12, an awful death. And we know from Josephus' accounts of Archelaus's death that he spent many days in pain and worms were eating him from within. Well, with his death, Agrippa, his son, would replace him. And King Agrippa, as I say, would be the final of the Herods. He'd be the end of this dynasty that had been ruling over Israel for many years. And he was an Edomite, a wicked man. But from Acts 24, you read about Drusilla and Felix, who were in a relationship. And Drusilla was the sister of King Agrippa and Bernice. But Drusilla, when she married Felix from Acts 24, was only 20 years old. She was a very beautiful woman, according to tradition, according to Josephus and others. And she was lured away from her first marriage to Felix, who was also married at the time. And she went off, had this relationship with Felix. But her brother, Agrippa, is in a relationship with his other sister, Bernice. She got Agrippa, king of Judea, two sisters. One is married to Felix and the other is his sister slash consort. Not his wife, but his lover. And you've got a picture there of incest, in case you missed it. But Paul doesn't seem phased by such wickedness. And also we discover him in verse 13, Friday the 13th, 666, 13 being the number of the devil, 13 being the the number of the occult. And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice, his sister slash lover, came unto Caesarea to salute Festus, to greet Festus. And what really intrigues me from this piece of scripture is how Paul handles King Agrippa. When John the Baptist came into contact with Archelaus, he was scathing of his personal life. And yet when Paul comes into contact with Agrippa, he's very deferential and he almost flatters Agrippa. And this shows me that for those of us which are saved, if we find ourselves ever in the presence of a leader or a ruler, or a prime minister, or a president, or a king, or a queen. Unlikely, I know, but if we ever find ourselves in the presence of such people, we too should follow Paul's lead. Look at verse 14, please. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, There was a certain man left in bonds by Felix, about whom, when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, designed to have judgment against him. This is unfinished business. And once again, Felix has left this man hanging, And it's down to Festus to deal with Paul's detention. And no doubt Agrippa was aware of Paul. And no doubt he wants to speak to him about his beliefs and what he is all about. Look at verse 16. To whom I answered, it is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die. Before that he which is accused have the accusers face to face. And have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Once again, this is the Roman legal system at its best. We can't put a man to death unless... His critics, those that have accused him, 
of a particular crime are present to lay their evidence on the table. Therefore, when they were come hither, without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth. The beamer's seat once again, against whom when the accuser stood up, they brought none accusation of such things as I supposed, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition, and of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. That is so rich, coming from Festus. I mean, superstition? The Romans thought that their emperors were gods. Divine. And here he is accusing Paul of being superstitious. What a joke that is. And because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. But when Paul had appealed to be reserved under the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesarea. Simply recapping as to where he is with Paul. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, shall they hear him. Agrippa's been waiting. And if you go back to the, the Gospels, it speaks about, excuse me, Archelaus speaking to John, wanting to interrogate John about his ministry, about his purpose. And that man was torn, shredded. That man was ripped in half when it came to his conscience. And that's pictured back in the Old Testament when we read about Lot. But here, Agrippa is about to meet Paul the Apostle, probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. And yet, like his father, Archelaus, like his grandfather, Herod the Great, he's wicked. He's depraved. He's a reprobate. And yet, Paul, as I say, when he gets to speak to such a person, doesn't go in all guns blazing. He's very diplomatic. Look at verse 23, please. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come, and Bernice with great pomp, and was entered into the place of hearing, with the chief captains and the principal men of the city, a Festus commandment, Paul was brought forth. They enter in to this environment like the popes would enter in to such an environment, with great pomp. But remember what I just said to you, Agrippa will be the third and final king in Israel. The temple goes down in 70 AD, and here Agrippa with his sister, slash lover, slash consort, is now going to speak to Paul. On top of that, the chief captains and principal men of the city are also present at Festus' commandment. They are there on his orders, and Paul was brought forth. But go back to what I said a few moments ago. If you were detained for being a Christian, if you were questioned for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, could they convict you? It's food for thought, is it not? Look at 24, please. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all the men which are here present with us, you see this man, about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I determined to send him, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. Wherefore I have brought him forth before you, especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination, had I might have somewhat to write. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner, and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. On top of that, it would be very foolish to send Paul, bound to Rome without any charges laid against him. But Festus is explaining his dilemma to Agrippa and all those that are present concerning Paul that has been detained but when I found that he had done nothing worthy of death 25 and that he himself had appealed to Augustus my boss I determined to send him I've got to send him up there he's a Roman citizen it's his right but my problem is this I have no certain thing to write unto my lord I'm not an expert in the affairs of the Jews or the Christians wherefore I brought him forth before you because you are an expert on these affairs, and you'll read that from 26 next week, 
and especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. Help me out here. Let's work together. We're all politicians, so on and so forth. 27, and I, and I will conclude, for it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner, and not withal, to signify the crimes laid against him. Poor old Festus, very much in the middle, and yet Paul, very much in his elements, very much relaxed. He would tell you later on, to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. He would tell you from the book of Ephesians how his spirit was already in heaven, and yet, if my date uh, from this piece of scripture is correct, we are around 55, 56 AD, so Paul's got another 10 years before he is martyred for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there you are, Acts 25, covered in one broadcast, which is a first, I must say. But Festus, a politician, called upon to examine Paul, would be out of office, would be dead within two years of this account. His predecessor, Felix, was married to Drusilla, Herod the Great's, um, excuse me, uh, Achaelius's third and youngest daughter, and she marries Felix when she's 20, of a evil union. They're the first couple to dominate Acts 24, but Acts 25, couple number two arrive, King Agrippa with his sister, Bernice, another ungodly couple, enjoying an, uh, an incestuous relationship, and they're going to get to listen to Paul preach from Acts 26, but Paul's okay, he's enjoying himself, as I keep saying, because I think that's the way to execute these verses, is just letting it roll. What do they say? Water for ducks back. Festus, Felix, very much ignorant of what's going on. Caiaphas and his father-in-law and his sons, very much on the wrong side of the Lord. And this goes back to why if you're a saved person, you should be reading the word of God to make sure you're not ever outside of the will of the Lord. Paul has been accused of being superstitious, which is somewhat rich, coming from Festus and co., but Agrippa says in 22, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. Like his father waited for the opportunity to speak to John the Baptist, like his father waited to speak to the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet to no avail. We don't know much about uh, Agrippa's state after this piece of scripture, but based on his father's death, based on his grandfather's death, I would put to you this morning that he probably died an unsaved man. Pilate killed himself, suicide, and as we continue to read on, Agrippa, along with his sister slash lover, arrives a great pomp, very much like the Catholic Church, and they enter into the place of hearing with the chief captains and principal men of the city. The good and the great, so on and so forth, and Festus 24, going down to 27, is now pleading with Agrippa to help him out. Listen to this man, help me to put a report together, because as far as I can see, this man is innocent. He's not worthy of death or of bonds, but I've got the Jews on my back. I've got to put a port to go to Augustus, being Nero, and if I'm not careful, I'm going to be in hot water for not laying my case clearly out in my report as to why Paul is guilty of being detained, so on and so forth. And 27, one last time, for it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. Unreasonable and also unlawful. So there you are, Acts 25 next week. We'll pick it up in Acts 26.